0: Well, good morning, Sarahville. Good morning. We are so glad you're here. When I, uh, I got here this morning, I wanted to say, would all 14 of you please move to the uh, center here? This is one of those cold days where only the uh, old and decrepit can make it out to church. That's not what Paul told me a little earlier. Paul told me it's so cold out there, the politicians have their hands in their own pockets. But uh, he didn't make that up, but... Uh, we do want to greet uh, all of you and those of you watching online. We had almost 1,700 people watching online in the last service, uh, and uh, we have hundreds more that are watching online. We welcome you and those of you that are visiting, That because your church wasn't uh, running today, and makes sense. I mean, if you're watching from Florida, you should know that it was like 18 below zero when I got up this morning, and I don't think it's much warmer now, but... Uh, that makes for humbling circumstances, preaching to a smaller group. But uh, I expect you to be, you know, sort of reactionary today. Little, I, I'm going to need all the encouragement I can get. That's what we're talking about, Randy, over there. Keep it up, all right? But speaking of humbling, uh, that is the subject of our message today. If you're in James chapter 4, if you'd open your Bibles there, we're, we're going to pick it up where we left off. I, I, was, uh, I once had a friend who uh, in reply to the challenge uh, you should humble yourself said something like this to me. He said, uh, define humble. I mean, just the very fact that you would ask that question means you're not very humble. I want to say right out of the chute that real humility is not just the avenue of grace. It's the byproduct of grace. And I think that this passage that we're looking at today will affirm that. And where we left off, if you were with us last week, was the very end of uh, verse 6, where we're told, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to what? To the humble. And this is not a new thought. James isn't introducing a new thought. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 5 says almost word I mean, identically what uh, James says, but it's not a new thought because Solomon a thousand years earlier said it in Proverbs chapter three. This is a little thought I want you to grasp about real humility. Real humility never makes demands. It never negotiates and it won't resist God-given authority and you can judge yourself by that. Put that, lay that, overlay that over what happens when you're confronted in your sin, when you're confronted in your stubbornness, when you're confronted in your pride. And you ask yourself the question, do you start making demands? Do you negotiate? Do you resist the authorities that God has placed in your life? Real humility never makes demands. It never negotiates. And it always, or rather, it won't rather, resist God-given authorities. Now, some of you might be wondering why I have to modify the word humility. Why, why are you calling it real humility? Why don't you just call it what it is, humility? And I did that on purpose because in our psychologically-driven culture that we live in, fake humility is just as real and harder to detect. I mean, books and seminars on leadership are often given that make humility a strategy rather than a character trait that you should actually possess from the inside. But let's look at the text and uh, I want you to note that he, uh, James is gonna bracket uh, the subject of humility with the what I'm gonna call the guts of humility, because we're gonna spend our time, most of our time with the guts, the internal what humility looks like. But James chapter 4, beginning in verse, at the end of verse 6, that's kind of where we left off last time, But where it says, he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's the first bookend. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here's the other part of the bookend. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. So if you'll notice that he, James has bracketed the guts of this section with the subject of humility in verses, end of verse six and 10. So if you, you, you see them, if you just put them together, just if you just take those verses out, this is what you have for the brackets. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I say that because in between that is where we're going to be focusing this morning. So seven through nine are the guts, the expressions of, Okay, the, the inward and the outward demonstrations of real humility. When I read the Old Testament, I often envision expressive, uh, emotive, explosive even praise. When the, the, the Jewish people praise, they know how to praise. I mean, you look at the very last psalm. He goes, praise the Lord with the trumpet, the lute, the tambourine, the dance, the strings, the pipe, the cymbals, the clashing loud cymbals. Have you ever read that? That doesn't sound like a real subtle praise service. But I also envision when real repentance is taking place, I also envision expressive, emotive, explosive humility. That occurs in those times. People ripping their clothes, pulling their hair out, throwing ashes up in there. They're just very demonstrative. On the other hand, the prophets of the Old Testament weren't dummies. They understood that outward actions did not always reflect the internal condition of the heart. There were fakes out there, like the ones, remember the religious leaders that confronted Jesus at his trial before they crucified him? They said, tell us, we call you, but we, we, we adjure you by the, by the living God. Are you the son of God? Remember that? And he basically said, yeah, I am. And then, whoosh, they tore their garments. Remember that? It wasn't real. That wasn't real humility. And even the great prophet Joel said, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord our God. Now, that's what real humility looks like. So we're going to take some time here in verses 7 through 9 to look at the guts of real humility. What does real humility look like? And it comes right out of the text. There are about 10 commands, but I'm going to sort of squish them into... Five points here, if I may. The first one is submission to God. Pretty simple. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, verse seven. James comes out swinging with our favorite word in the English vocabulary submit. Don't you just love that word? It's a military term. It means, to, it, it's a military term, it means to rank under. So, you guys that are involved in the armed forces, You know what it means to rank under. It literally means to arrange yourself underneath. That's the idea of this word. And more important than the meaning of the word itself is the fact that it's in the passive voice, which means that you are voluntarily submitting yourself to God. It's not being forced on you. Has anybody ever been forced to submit? If you're in the military, go like this. Well, you'd like to say, oh yeah, well, I'm happy to submit. You're not always happy, but you submit, right? Right? That's the idea in this word. This is a glad submission, not a sad submission. We've all seen we've all seen people who have submitted, but you just realize they're just doing this, just and they're gritting they're gritting their teeth the whole time, right? That's not the idea here. And so, how do we do this? How do we how this should be to submit yourselves therefore to God is sort of the very first in the guts of humility. And this is a daily thing. So for instance, when I spend time with God uh, each morning, and no matter how much time, whether it's a lot of time or a little time, I usually usually spend about an hour, give or take. And uh, when I'm done, I usually take my Bible and I push it aside and I just sit there before God. And I don't even necessarily have a prayer. I just sit there and submit myself to God, best I know how. Lord, I know you're in charge. I'm not in charge, you're in control, I'm not in control, I have a plan, I'm giving it to you, I'm submitting myself to you. That's the idea here in submitting yourselves to God, all right? So submission to God, first and foremost. Secondly, by fighting the devil, what does the guts of humility look like? It means submission to God, it means fighting the devil. Notice what it says, the very next line, resist the devil. The word resist is also a military term, by the way. And it carries the idea of stiff-arming, opposing, resisting with great strength. It calls to mind Ephesians 6, where the Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the idea here. And this is, listen, this is more than just get behind me, Satan, okay? This isn't just, oh, when the devil comes after me, I just say get behind me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't do that. Well, you can do that. and It's not wrong to do that. But there's so much more to resisting the devil. And, and, and the point here is this is an onward going thing. This isn't a one and done deal. You say, well, I fought with the devil back, you know, when I was 25, you know, <laughs> I whipped him. That's a, the that's a second dumbest thing I've ever heard, okay? I, I, I had a, I was thinking about this a little bit, about resisting the devil, and all that goes, and I, I don't know, the Lord brought to my mind uh, a Siberian Husky that I had when I was, we, I was first married. Uh, I was young, we had the Siberian Husky, and he was so spirited, uh, we, so we put up a wood fence all around the backyard had kind of like pointy, like picket like so man, if he ever tried to jump over, he'd get impaled. But that dog did everything it could to get over. I mean, he would just, especially when my brother-in-law would show up. My brother-in-law, every time he showed up, he'd take that dog out to the woods and go run. So that dog knew his car. So as soon as my brother-in-law drove up, he just went insanely crazy, jumping up and down. I, I seriously thought he was going to jump the fence. He didn't, thankfully, because the fence did its job. It held him in. However, if the door to that fence was ever opened, even a crack, it didn't take much. That dog was gone, and it was quite an ordeal trying to get him back. And so I was thinking about this because our sinful desires, your sinful desires, my sinful desires are a little bit like my husky. They're alive. Can I get an amen? They're energetic. They're ready to jump that God given fence, given the opportunity. But here's the good news they can't. Not when the fence of Holy Spirit empowered self control, Galatians 5, is up and working. They can't, those desires can't jump that fence. But you open that door and that dog's going to get out, even a crack, because it'll be energized by Satan to get out. But here's the difference. The devil isn't the dog trying to get out. He's the dog trying to get in. The fence is your submission you're arranging under, you're ranking yourself under your submission to God. You open the door though to Satan, watch this, when you quit fighting, that's when you open it up. He's telling us to resist the devil here. When you do, he flees, right? So this is not a fight that is a one and done deal. Remember when Jesus was tempted, 40 days in the wilderness, remember that? The devil comes, tempts him, and he withstands him. He resists him. And the Bible says he went away, never to return. Amen? I'm glad I didn't hear any amens. Because Luke chapter four, verse 13 says he did leave, but waited for an opportune time to return. And that's the way it is in our life. If you want to understand the guts of humility. The guts of humility is not just submission to God, but the ongoing resistance to evil. That's why we're told when we pray, you should pray, deliver us from evil. Keep me from temptation. These are daily things we should be putting before God in our effort to live a humble life, a real humble life. Thirdly, the guts of humility involves going to God. This is beautiful. Verse eight, draw near to God. What a beautiful thought. But notice it's a command. Stop waiting for God to come to you. Go to him. We know that God initiates salvation, but this passage is all about our initiation. And even more beautiful When we draw near to God, look what the rest of the verse says. He does the same. He comes Does This is beautifully pictured in the parable of the prodigal son, isn't it? Remember what happens? Prodigal son runs out, wastes his entire life, comes to the end of himself in the pigsty, has a conversation with himself, says, you know what I'll do? I'll go back and I'll say, father, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your servants, you know? And so he does, he goes back to his father and as he draws near to his father, his father what? Comes near to him, runs to him. And this is what happens. This is the command. It's beautifully illustrated. Draw near to God. And you can do that and should do that every single, there's not one day that you can afford to not draw near to God. I got a good friend. I, I know, He's in this room, but I'm not going to embarrass him. And he told me recently that, you know, sometimes they'll go several days without reading and then they'll read for like two or three hours. And, you know, we had a great conversation about that. Am I glad they read the Bible for two or three hours? Of, of course. But I asked him if he ate every day. Well, yeah, of course. Well, why don't you go like five or six days without eating and then just eat for five or three or four hours? Well, He got the point, and it was a great conversation. But here it is. We must draw near to God regularly. And that's how we'll stay really humble. By the way, if it's real humility, not only, listen, if it's real humility, not only will God be drawn to you, others will as well. Others will be drawn to you. I'm speaking at a counseling conference soon, and the theme is counseling with humble confidence. And I'm going to share with them, your your degree might be your calling card, but your humility is your drawing card. You want others to be drawn to you, and some of you just long to be liked. And if you're not, it may have something to do with your humility or lack thereof. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Others will too. It's the humble thing to do. Fourthly, the fourth part of the guts of humility is brokenness before God. And there's a lot of commands here, but this is where James really starts coming down. He pummels, and I read it that way. He, remember, verse 8 Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double minded. Cleanse your hand, that's external. Purify your hearts, that's internal. But then notice he modified, you sinners, you double-minded. The word double-minded means two-souled. Remember, James is but the who's been, James started off in this fourth chapter by saying that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. You make yourself a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. He's talking to those who have the proverbial one foot in the world, the other foot in spiritual in the in, in the realm of spirituality and you're a mess. You're an absolute mess. We have to live in this world. And we have all the temptations from outside coming upon us in this world, but we don't have to succumb to this world. If you are broken before God, God will fix it. What's the old line? It's, uh, God will take the broken Christian as long as he has all the pieces. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. By the way, thus far James has been, we have assumed that he's been talking to Christians. He's been preaching to Christians, these Messianic Jews. But John MacArthur has pointed out that if that's true, then this is the only time in all of the New Testament where the designation sinners is given to born again Christians. Which has led him to think that at this point, James is saying, No, he's talking to those who are lost. He's talking to you who are so stuck in the world you never got out of it to begin with. You need to cleanse your hands, you sinners. You need to purify your hearts, you double minded. Just the other day, I talked with a a friend of mine who was working with a guy who has made multiple decisions over the years. He comes in, falls apart, comes in, falls apart, comes in, falls apart, goes away for eons of time, and then shows up again. Showed up again recently, said, Help me out. I'm really a mess. My life's a mess. I'll do this, I'll do that. They set up a time to get together. No show. That's the person that James is talking to. And if that's you, you've made lots of commitments and you don't follow through. It's probably because you're not a Christian. You've never really repented. You've never experienced the real humility that requires brokenness before God. Look what he says in verse nine, be wretched, be wretched. That's the only, the word means to be wrecked. Be wrecked and mourn and weep. That's right out of the prophet Joel's words. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Look, James isn't telling you to be a prude. I'm not a prude. I love a good sense of humor. I love a good joke. I wish I was better at telling them. But I have to admit, I have laughed at jokes I should never have laughed at. James isn't attacking your sense of humor. He's attacking your sense of seriousness when it comes before, comes to coming before the living God. Let your joy, middle of verse nine, end of verse nine, let your joy be turned to gloom. This is really a powerful word. This word gloom, it's the only time it's ever used in the, in the Bible. It literally means have your eyes cast downward. And as soon as I saw this, I thought of something that happened to us when we were in the Czech Republic where my wife's brother is a missionary many years ago. We were in Prague, beautiful city. And I come to find out this is very typical of beggars in Prague. Beggars, if you're a beggar in the city of Prague, you don't, uh, you don't come with a hand, you know, with hat in hand and look, you know, asking for money. Every beggar in Prague, if you, every beggar in Prague is on their knees, like this, on their knees, with their head down. And they don't even look up. When you put money in their hat, they'll just go like this and say, dzekwit. That's the Czech word for thank you. They won't even look at you. And that's exactly what James is saying. And by the way, this is, isn't this what Jesus told us in Luke, Luke's gospel when he talked about the two people that he gave the parable, the two that went into the temple, the Pharisees bragging about all that he's done. And then you got, the, you got the tax collector who's beating his chest. He won't even look up and says, God, be merciful to me. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You see the word mourn there? The irony is, is only when we mourn over our sin that we find joy in the Lord. Spurgeon said, a dry-eyed faith will never see the kingdom of God. Have you been broken? One more, one more on the guts of humility. It's the personal initiation to be humble. Please look at it. It's the last verse. It's the the brackets. It's the last, the bookend here, okay? Humble what? Humble what? Yourselves. I wrote a book a year ago that was predicated on what one does after they've been humiliated, after they've screwed up, after they've bungled something, after they've sinned. But James's point here is that we address the matter when it's still in our hands. Humble yourselves before you have to get called out. Now, if you have to get called out, you have to get called out. But if, you, if God shows you your pride, your resistance, your stiff arming of him, your giving in to the devil, you're stepping in to worldliness when He shows this to you, and you humble yourself, God then picks you up. It's a beautiful thing. Humble yourself before the Lord. This is where true humility needs to begin before the face of God. And again, each, this, this can start every morning before the living God. you spend time with God. Again, just I know it, the exercise I have is very simple. I just put it all aside and I just sit there. You want to get on your knees, get on your knees, I don't care. so I just sit there and envision myself before God. and he will exalt you, which by the way lines up with what is what James's half-brother said, right? Remember what he said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 14. he who exalts himself, will be humble the one who humbles himself what gets exalted and by the way the word humble this is where we'll wrap it up the word humble literally means i love this it literally means to make low that's what it means it means to make low but to make low you have to get low from your heart. Anybody ever heard of a movie called Get Low? Came out about 14 years ago. Robert Duvall was the, uh, was the, uh, the star of the movie. It's actually based on a true story. In 1938, in, in, a, in a little Baptist church in Newport, Tennessee, They conducted a funeral for a guy whose nickname was Bush. The uniqueness of the funeral, Bush was still alive. Literally, he came, he straggled into town, bearded, disheveled, went into the church and he said, you know, I've been thinking about my life and it's time for me to get low. What he meant by that is I need to plan for my death. And plan he did. He planned a funeral while he was alive. I want to have the funeral while I'm alive. And with a eulogy and everything. This thing, this thing, this is 1938. This thing got major legs to it. The AP took it up. The, the United Press took it up. Life Magazine did an article on it. He was interviewed on radio stations. Radio was like television, Didn't even, for all intents and purposes, didn't even exist. Eight to 12,000 people showed up for the funeral and he was alive. He died about five years later. But what an idea! What an idea to get low before you go. What a novel idea. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? He got low by going. Because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor. That through his poverty, you might be made rich. That's what the Bible says. And he, being in the form of God, did not think of it as something that he needed to grasp because he already was God. Made himself of no reputation. Got low. Low. Is it any wonder that that same passage in Philippians 2 says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The principle has never changed. The way up is down. It always has been. Learn to get low. Have you gotten low? Some of you watching online, you've never gotten low. Some of you in this room, you've never gotten low. And your life is still a confusing mess. The guts of humility demands that each of us get low. And when we do get low, God lifts us up. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, Thank you for this great passage of scripture, for this great practitioner of truth, James, and how you led this half-brother of yours, Lord Jesus, to write this powerful book and remind us what real humility looks like, not just an avenue of grace. It's, it's the very pro- byproduct of it, a humble life, not one that's making demands or negotiating whether we should obey or not, coming under the authorities you've granted to us. God, I pray that we would experience the guts of real humility, genuine submission to you, ongoing resistance to the evil one who wants to trip us up. He can't take our salvation away. Those of us who know him know Jesus, but he can make life miserable if we don't resist him. Help us, Lord, to come draw near to you, knowing you'll do the same toward us. Be broken. Some of us here just need to be broken, Lord. They've never been broken. And we were reminded from the great man of God, Spurgeon himself, that a dry-eyed faith will never see the kingdom of God. And by the way, dear friend, if that's you, would you just humble yourself now in the sight of God, acknowledge your sin, and believe that Jesus died for you. Ask him really and from your heart, out of your brokenness, to forgive you of your sins and be your savior. And God, for those of us who do know you, that we would take the initiative to humble ourselves lest we be humbled. Either way, Lord, help us to be humble people. Real humility, getting low, knowing that when we do, just as you did for your son, Jesus, you'll lift us up too. We pray all these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.